So that's why we're putting them up there for you. And uh, that's that. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, and if you don't have one, we have them right over here. We have some spares over here that you're more than welcome to use this morning, but also take with you. Um, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We are in, uh, we're going to be in verses 27 to 36 this morning. I am going to read the passage as we normally do, the whole passage, and then I'm going to pray one more time. And then we're going to dive into this, I'm going to put it nicely, really crazy suggestion that Jesus has this morning. So let's read the passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, beginning there. These are Jesus' words. I have a red letter Bible here, and so these are Jesus' words recorded by Luke. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to, to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful." Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this day. Yes, Lord, we thank You for Micah, Hope, Hembrook, and for preserving him and for giving Jen and Murray and the family strength. Father, we thank You so much that uh, we can, those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, count ourselves as Your sons and daughters, heirs with Jesus Christ. Father, we're grateful to be here today. We're so grateful to be able to open your word freely. Um, Lord Jesus, these are your words. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me in my weakness to be able to teach this, um, that you would teach it to us, that you would speak to our hearts, speak through our minds, illuminate us, and change our hearts, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So this is a very interesting passage, to say the least, right? Uh, we uh, actually, I think we took a break, and it was the last time that we were at the ledge, which is back, back I think, three years ago. We did uh, gather as a church at the ledge for a short time there, and uh, decided to do over the summer uh, a series called The Craziest Things That Jesus Ever Said, right? And for some of you, you remember this graphic, right? This graphic was from that series, and uh, it, it, was, it was interesting. And I remember saying at the time, and I'll say it again today, that um, some of the things, and the one thing that we hear him say today, love your enemies. Like, that was, that was the top of the pile, like, of the things that were the craziest, right? But I also said at that time, and I'll repeat it today, they're not only the craziest things that Jesus ever said, they're the most ignored things that Jesus ever said. Because people listen to these things and they hear it, right? And they're like, come on. How, really? Okay, good, that's Jesus. It's love your enemies. Okay, well, can we move on to the next passage? And we just, we hear these words and we just hear these words. But think about it. 
I think we have to see this today. If Jesus said these things, He meant them, and they were probably for our good. Amen? I mean, He must have had a purpose. He wasn't just looking out at His disciples and the rabbis and the Pharisees that were following Him and trying to freak them out, which He did. He had a purpose in mind. He really, really wanted us to understand this. So, so today, we can't, we, can't just, we can't just go by this and give mental assent and go, yes, love your enemies. Great, that's good. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-huh, got that one too. Right? No. We, we, if we're going to hear from the Holy Spirit today, we really got to dig into this. So I'm really looking forward to this. We must also, if we're going to understand this today and grasp it, what Jesus is saying is we, we need to look at the parallel, actually the more expanded version in the Gospel of Matthew, which we, again, went through years ago as a church. And, of course, his record of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where Luke is right now, right, in chapter 6. But Luke's version is very condensed. It's very short version of the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason, again, I said this last week, is because his audience is a slightly different audience. His audience are the skeptics, the Gentiles, the pagans, of which he was one, who have come to faith in Christ. So as a documentarian, he just wants to get to the basics, the, the, the truth of the gospel, and so he's not giving us the full-blown version as Matthew did. And you'll remember in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, he gives us the full seven Beatitudes, right? And, and Luke just gave us four, which we looked at last week. And it was amazing. So one of the things that happened in Matthew that you'll recall, or I'll mention it to you now is, is by the time Jesus finishes the Beatitudes and, you know, we're a city set on a hill and you're salt and you're light, right, and these kind of things, at this point in Matthew's gospel, most of the people there on the hill on that day are going, what in the world is he saying? Blessed are the who? The poor in spirit? Like the meek? the mild? Those are the blessed people? What's he, what's he getting at? It, and not only that, it got to the point actually where, I mean, people were probably thinking that this, is, this sounds pretty unusual. It's not what we were thinking we would have to do in order to enter the kingdom of God. But also the Pharisees and the religious guys are hearing this, and they're beginning to think that he's, he's got this really turned around in the wrong way. And so, you know, of course, when, when Jesus senses that the people are not understanding him or you know, like they don't really get his message. You know what Jesus normally does, right? Is he kind of lowers the bar, makes it a little bit more accessible, more understandable, so that everybody will feel better, right? Wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. What Jesus does is he completely raises the bar, doesn't he? Right? And he does that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. And then when you look, look at when you see this on screen, you've got to realize, I mean, the, the Pharisees had already gotten to the point where they're thinking, he's he's abolishing the law. Like, he's not treating the law correctly. He's, he's not respecting the Ten Commandments and the law because of some of the things he's been saying. And then Jesus says this, and all the people there, disciples, uh, all of these people coming out to hear him, they see, hear this and they see this and it goes, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of these guys over here, the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Boom, mic drop, right? Like, everyone present at that point in time is looking at him and going, say that again? Are you serious? Who could achieve that? I mean, the plebs, and again, we know that in that culture at that time, there was the rich, very small numbers, and the poor in general. So they're all there, and they're loving this thing that he's come for the poor, he wants to bless the poor. But at that point, they're going, how will I ever achieve that? 
I mean, we know that these Pharisees and these scribes guys are, are righteous. I mean, I mean, after all, look at their fancy robes and their big hats. I mean, they look righteous, don't they? And they act righteous, and they tell everybody how righteous they are and how they keep the law and how perfectly. So everybody else is kind of like, well, come on, I know that I'm a lawbreaker and not a law keeper. I mean, I'm willing to confess that and be honest about it. Who can possibly live up to that? And so Jesus, he's just blowing their minds at this point. And it's, it's, it's almost like this is a crazy statement, but they missed something that would have maybe made them feel better. They didn't quite catch it. And that's why we today are so beneficial that we're on this side of the cross, right? We, we know the full orb story, but they missed something because Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law. You remember that, right? Which some of the Pharisees were now beginning to think because one verse earlier, a few verses earlier, pardon me, he said this. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, again, that, if, they, if they'd even thought for a second about the Old Testament, the Messiah, what he's supposed to do, what he's coming for, you know, it, it should have added up to them, but it, it didn't, and they missed it. And what Jesus is essentially is saying at that point, which should have given them great encouragement so that when they heard the other verse, they wouldn't have freaked out so much, he would have, they would have heard, he wanted to say to them, don't worry. I know you cannot fulfill the law. Nobody can except me. And that's why I came. So you don't have to worry. I'm going to do this for you, for all of you, and it's going to be okay. And so, again, they they didn't hear that. They didn't get that. So what does Jesus do at that point? Okay, now at this point, he makes it easier, right? He lowers the bar, softens it, you know, more universal, get everybody in. No. I mean, the Gospel of Matthew just goes on, and from this point, what we see is he, he uses this interesting phrase, it's a comparison phrase in Matthew, where he says, on the one hand, you have heard that it was said of old, or you have heard that it was said before. And then he says, but I say to you. And he does this frequently. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 21, he says this. This is the first one of those. He says, you have heard that it was said of old in the past. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So what's he doing here? What is he doing raising the bar like that? Well, first and foremost, what he's doing is he's exposing the Pharisees' standard, isn't it? I mean, their standard was the letter of the law, thou shalt not murder. I'm good. I'm assuming everyone in this room is good too, right? <laughs> okay, if you're not, don't, don't raise your hand or anything because we, maybe, we, well, maybe we should know. So, so they're like basically, and most of us would be like, okay, listen, um, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm good because I, I've, I, you know, I, I've not done that. But Jesus is saying in his text here, God's bar is much higher than you think, guys. And you should have known that throughout the whole Old Testament. What you should have known is being so angry with your brother or sister that you yell at them, that you insult them, and that you threaten them, or you call them stupid, 
means that your eternal destiny is in danger. In God's economy, they're equal. <laughs> the act and the thoughts. There's no difference. So now see this because this is important. Clearly what Jesus is doing is obviously He's raising the bar so high that two things should be very obvious. This is the gospel, right? The first is none of us in this room, no one on this planet ever in existence except Jesus is able to attain that height in and of our human selves, right? Secondly, the bar is therefore not being set to what we must attain in order to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But, and this is the good news, so please hear this, but these are the kingdom attributes that we saw last week, the beatitudes, the kingdom attitudes that Jesus wants to bless us with. And how does He do that? He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new heart. It needs to emanate from the new hearts that He gives to us. So listen, can you imagine just for a moment with me? Can you imagine just for a moment what it would be like going forward in your life if anger was completely eradicated from your hearts? Can, can you imagine? I know some of you. I know you're meek, you're mild, you're loving. I've never seen you really, really angry. That's a good thing. But... I don't ever want you to see me when I'm like that. We get angry, don't we? Don't you? You could confess at this point. <laughs> we do. What, what, what would that feel like? Can you imagine how that would be a blessing to you and listen, obviously, to everyone in your life, in your home, in your family, clearly? Your health would literally improve. The, the, the doctors will tell you that heart problems, stress problems, depression problems, one of the most critical factors is anger, out of control, anger. And of course, we medicate for that too, don't we? So what's the solution? What's the, what's the cure? Well, again, it, it's a new heart that only knows one thing, and this is your sermon title for today, love everyone always. How easy is that? Love everyone always. What would that be like? I mean, I would certainly like to be able to say that I'm doing that. I really would. So from here on, Jesus goes on to a few others. The first one that he goes on to in Matthew is, of course, adultery, right? He goes on to, from murder, he goes on to adultery, and, and he basically says, you've heard it said of old that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look and keep on looking at a woman wearing Lululemons, you've committed adultery. What, your translation doesn't say that? I've modernized it just for you, right? Now, ladies, I don't know what the equivalent is for you. I'll just leave it out there. But guys, listen to me. Let's, let's just be honest here, right? Every one of… What is Jesus calling every man in this room by saying that? What is He calling you? He's calling you an adulterer. He's calling me an adulterer. Guilty. And so, listen, he's also saying in both of these cases that, again, it's not the act, it's the thought, and that thought just doesn't come from our mind, it comes from our hearts. And so then he goes on, and he does the same with divorce, oaths, and then he ends with, in 43, he says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall 
love your neighbor, and look at this, hate your enemy? This is interesting. That's what he says. Jesus actually says these words. And for starters, listen, we, we know at this point that Jesus has been raising the bar so high that you've got to believe at this point in time there is no way in the world that he's going to let hate your enemies stand, right? No, he's not. There's no way that he's going to let that stand. And why? Because it was never a command of God. This is one of those things where they added to it. Leviticus 19 gives us the command from God and the command from God to the people of Israel and to all of us and for history is love your neighbor. That was it. (laughs) There was nothing about the enemy's bit at all. And so most of them are going, yeah, we've heard that. You know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah, we're good with that. Yeah, we heard that. That's when Jesus says what we see in our first two verses from the Gospel of Luke today, and he says this, but... I say this to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Two verses, two sentences that are probably the most ignored, honestly, even in the Christian life today. So now at this point and after all this background, let me explain how this is going to go from here to the conclusion. It's important. First, for those of you who are the keeners uh, on the verse by verse, which you know I am, we always do that, we're going to park our time mostly on these two verses. So don't get freaked out when you know, we're into about 36 minutes and you're thinking, he hasn't even got to the rest of the time. What we're going to see here is secondly this. Jesus, these are the two verses. We have to unpack these very, very deeply because as we unpack these, we're going to see uh, what Jesus is really getting at and really get to the heart of it and the root of it. And then we're going to see that the rest of the verses, really from 29 to 36, are Jesus himself just giving little illustrations, little applications that any good preacher should do to make the point. And so we'll just need to read them in conclusion and, and you'll see, but you'll understand, I think we'll understand them better as we get to that point. So, now you've heard all this background, can I ask this important question of all of us at this point in time? It's an important question. I'm going to probably ask it a few more times this morning. But let me ask this question. I'll put it on screen. Did Jesus really mean what he said? Anybody? I know we're MB, which is mostly Baptist, but come on. Everybody? Did Jesus really mean what he said here? Okay, so maybe, maybe some questions out there. So let's keep going. We'll have a look at that. Uh, another book that I'm reading, I mentioned one last week, and it's kind of a follow-up to the one that I told you about last week, which is by James K.A. Smith, You Are What You Love, and this is a great follow-up. It's a book called by Bob Goff, and it's called Everybody Always. So you can kind of get an idea where I got the sermon title from today. But his thesis in his book, his big idea, is, is very similar to this. His main point in his book is based on the great commandment that Jesus gives, and uh, he asked, when Jesus asked, was asked by a scribe, he, you remember that in Mark chapter 12, he's asked by a scribe, what's the most important commandment? Like, if you could, if you could boil it down to one thing, if I could do, just do one thing to inherit eternal life, what would it be? Like, forget all the others, I just need one thing, one little hoop, I think I can do that. Jesus answers him, and he says this in Mark 12, and the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
So, so Bob Goff, he, he asks a similar question to Jesus' command, love your enemies, with love your neighbor. And I love the way he does it in his book. He, he actually, it's not really in the form of a question, but it's in a questioning way. He says, do you, and I, I, it struck me, I'm telling you, like we live up you know, where we live and you know, we got our new rock wall and all the rest of it and I've got neighbors. And he literally says this, do you think Jesus meant what he said when he said, love your, your neighbors? Meaning, the people to the right, the people to the left, the people behind you, and the people across the street that Jesus has put you in the midst of. Do you think he meant that? I mean, that's really what his book unpacks. And I'm sitting there, I remember reading that in his book about a month ago, and I'm going, I, I, I got a neighbor behind me, I'm not quite sure she likes me. <laughs> and so and I'm thinking, when have I ever loved her? When was the last time I showed her some love? And then there's my my, my buddy next door who's, you know, gone through a divorce and, 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 you know, I keep saying to myself, you know, invite him over for dinner some night when Jan's working and you gotta, you know, you gotta eat anyway so I, and I never do it. Oh, talk about conviction. But his question is amazing. His question is, does God, Jesus mean these things? And of course we hear love your neighbor. And we're like, yeah, so our neighbor is like people who live in Pemberton. <laughs> no, maybe. He means what he says. Your neighbor. Your, ma- your neighbor. It's, it's incredible the way he does this. So up ahead in Luke's gospel, we're going to get to a really beautiful parable. You all know it, and we'll get to it in a little while. It's called the Good Samaritan, right? We all love that one. If you remember the story, it begins with a scribe again asking Jesus a question. And, and what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus ask, asks him, turns it around on him, and says, well, what does the law say? Right? And and so Jesus turns it back, and it's interesting because then the scribe, he knows the answer, and he says, well, you shall, right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he knew these things, right? He knew these things. And and, and Jesus' reply is, like, Jesus is like, good for you, gold star, because he says this, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. This rabbi who you respect enough, who you ask the question of, tells you that you're right, and all you need to do is do that, and you'll live, and you think the guy's going to go, thank you, I'm going to go do that, I'm going to go start loving my neighbor. It's not what happens. You know what happens? No. Luke uh, then records this man's response. It's interesting. It says this, but he... Desiring to justify himself, asks the question, well, come on, after all, who's my neighbor? (laughs) We do that, don't we? You know, we know that something is good for us or maybe not so good for us or what we should do or what we know Jesus really means. And then when it comes down to doing it, we're like, I don't want to. I'm busy. You know, if they were a little nicer, you know, and they kind of like the food that I cook, I'd invite them over. But we, we, this guy, so again, I need to ask the question, did Jesus really mean what he said? (laughs) In both of those cases, love your neighbor, love your enemies? How are we making out? Are we getting there? More people agree? You're very, very passive today. (laughs) Did he mean what he said? 
All right, let's, let's wrestle with this then. Let's really wrestle with this question. Because if, we're going to, if this is going to do anything in my life, your life today, we've got to wrestle with it. We've got to bring it to the ground, tackle it, okay? So another question. This is an important question. And the question is, who's your enemy? <laughs> Who is your enemy? I mean, Jesus is saying here, isn't he? In the affirmative, you have enemies. I have enemies. He's not going, by the way, if you have enemies... You should love them. He's going, no, no. Love your enemies. It's an affirmative statement. He means that you have them. And so let's maybe try to ask this a little differently than just do you have enemies and who are your enemies. Let me ask it this way. Are there some people in our church, in your community, in in your life who you like just a little bit less than other people? (laughs) Right. Are there some people who, you know, listen, I I have no problem loving them, but I really don't like them. (laughs) So come on, let's get real. Is there anyone who comes to mind that you just don't want to like? They could be your enemy. I mean, how about even in your immediate family or your extended family? There are, there are those people called the in-laws and the outlaws, right? There's, there's people like, oh, no, please don't invite them for Christmas, you know? Or please don't have them invite us for Christmas. That happens in families, and it's a sad thing. So how about people at work? What about your boss? What about coworkers? What about customers? What about people that you just meet in the neighborhood or you go biking with as part of a club or running with? I mean, this could be anywhere, any group of people... Who are they? Who are they? Could be a rather long, long list, right, if you think about it. So, of course, internet news comment sections and social media can expose who our enemies are pretty quickly, right? And our hearts rather quickly. Oh, I need to listen to my wife and get off social media. It's hard not to debate, right? And sometimes it comes out the wrong way. Look at these two. I'm going to put two squares on the screen for you, two little colored squares, and and I want you to ask yourself the question, what immediately comes to mind, and which color do you like, and which do you hate? (laughs) What does this remind you of, right? Whether south of the border, north of the border, one of these colors represents conservative, doesn't it? And the other, liberal, doesn't it? I could have put a little tiny green one in there, but I didn't want to be insulting to them. Uh, (laughs) because I like the Green Party, but, but come on. The vitriol that exists in our world, on social media, in conversations, over politics, there's a lot of hating going on. It's not love. It's not love. It's not honor. It's not respect. It's not, hey, don't agree with you, but I love you. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? So who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? And we need to be careful here because it's so easy to ask the question wrongly, like, who's my neighbor? I mean, really. I mean, really? I don't really have any enemies. Let's ask your friends. <laughs> Let's just ask your coworkers. Let's just, I mean, come on. Don't push this off. That's what we tend to do. We all have, honest, uh, honestly, we need to be brutally honest, we all have people in our lives who classify or could be classified as enemies. And so I don't want anybody to start calling out names, but listen, make a list. Let's go home today and let's like, you know, really, 
as I think about it, over the last year, two, three years, there are some people I just I find really hard to love. I like them less than I like other people, and the bottom line is I really don't love them. And they've hurt me. They've said things about me. They've done things to me. They've been very unkind to me. And so they're enemies. So what does Jesus tell us about this? Well, he tells us right about this in this verse, doesn't he? Let me come back to it. He says this, your enemies, and here's how you can make your list. Your enemies are people who hate you. Anybody got any people out there who you know really don't like you? I'm a preacher. I've got a few, okay? This comes with the territory. There are people who curse you. There are people who slander you, say really nasty things about you, spread rumors about you, some true and embellished, but, but some untrue. And there are people who abuse you. There are people who abuse you. And I love what Jesus does in this because in this, these two verses, he, he not only tells you what that list is made of and what they look like, and, and so you should be able to identify these people in your life, but then he shows us in three simple ways how we can love our enemies, what to do about it, right? Because he says there's three things. Number one, do good to them. Number two, bless them. And number three, pray for them. Now, I know you, and I know me. Okay, I'll say I know me. I don't want to judge any of you out there, because next week we get to judge not, right? Mm. Just another lovely one, right? But here's the thing. The thing is, is that I want to jump to pray. I just want to, I just want to pray for my enemies. Jesus is making it clear with the first two that you need to be in relationship. You need to be in contact with these people. You need to go to them. Or when they're coming to you, you need to be with them in a relationship with them. You need to, number one, do good. What does that look like, do you think? Well, obviously, in the midst of them not doing good to you, which is what you wish they would do, right? It's the golden rule that Jesus ends with, isn't it? You want them to do good to you, so what would you do? Well, in the midst of them not treating you or I well, you turn it around and say, that's okay, you know, um, can I cut your grass for you? <laughs> can I, can I get, I'm going to be going down to the Costco, can I do a run for you? Do you need anything? Um, do you need help with that, that job, that project that we're on? Like, do, I'm, listen, you're smart people. I think you can figure out what it looks like to do good for those who are your enemies. Try. Come up with some things. You might fail. They might hate you more because it wasn't enough, but do good. Do good. Secondly, we bless. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's in two ways. This word really means two things. It means when you're speaking to them and when you're speaking about them to other people, right? That's the implication. This is tough, isn't it? So, the idea is when you're face-to-face with them, you say, listen, I I know there must have been something that I did, and, and I'm sorry for that, but listen, I, I, I really appreciate you. I, I really think you do a good job. I think you're really a, a good mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, and I really wish our relationship could be better because I really see some wonderful things in you. And, and, I, and, and, then, and then when you're not with them and you're talking to other people who you've made, do you know so-and-so? <laughs> Maybe there's some corrective stuff that needs to happen there. Oh, my goodness, it just goes on. So what are we doing now? Saying, you know what? You know, I, I understand you might feel that about that person and you might have had that experience with them, but you know what? I think at the end of the day, they're just like you and I. 
they're broken, they're messed up, they've got issues. But you know what? I, I, I've seen examples of when they've really been very kind and how they treat their family and treat others. And, you know, we've got some kind of tension. I don't know what it's all about. But when you're with them and you, when you're not with them, and then when you're not with them, pray for them. Pray for them. And listen, pray for yourself, right? Pray for yourself in that situation. Ah, oh, can you imagine again? Can you imagine again if we did this? If we did this, if we just did this at the rock, <laughs> but if we did this at the rock with those around us, just 60, 70 people, adults living like this, what kind of an impact could we have in this community? I think it would be amazing. So the command to love our enemies is, is really a call to very unnatural deeds, isn't it? It's unnatural to go that far into what Jesus is asking of us. It's about unnatural words. For me to say nice things about someone who's really not nice to me or I feel has got it out for me or whatever it might be, it's just not natural. And then unnatural prayer to be bringing that person. I want to pray for Micah. I want to pray for people who are ill and sick, people I love. My enemies? It's a call to love that is obviously way beyond me. I don't know about you, but it's a call that is way beyond me to love like that. So we need help, don't we? We need help, and that's the beauty. With Christ, with His Spirit, we can do this. This unnatural love calls Jesus' followers to exercise an unconventional kind of love. And listen, it's not filial love. There's three words in the Greek for love. It's not filial love, the love that we have for brothers or sisters. You know, you know I, I love Dave. I love playing golf with him. I love beating him. I like playing you know, hockey with some of you guys. Okay, I normally don't beat him. Um, but, but there's filial love, and then there's eros, which is erotic, sensual love. And then there's this love. It's the high bar love, right? You know what it is. You know the Greek word, right? It's agape love. It's the love that the Father has for the Son, and it's the love that, our, that the Son wants us to have for our enemies. I don't have it. You don't have it. He does. That's our source. So then Jesus applies these words. He applies to help us understand how we're to love our enemies. He says this, To the one who strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So, it's really important that we understand this. In that culture, in that day, striking someone on the cheek was a sign it wasn't, an, it wasn't like, let's fight. It, it could lead to that. It was a sign. In Jewish culture at that time, if someone insulted you or cursed you or crossed the line and it got to the point where you were basically sensing, listen, this relationship is done. A slap on the face was the sign. Not that I want to fight you. It might turn into that, but it, it was a sign that that's it. You and I, shaking off my sandals, we're done. I thought about that this week, you know, like guys, we like to, and then women, if we insult a woman, if we're really, you know, ladies slap, don't they? <laughs> Ever been slapped? Don't raise your hands, please. Some of us should have been slapped, I'm sure. 
That was a sign. It was a sign. It was done when someone was being put out of the synagogue. It was a form of excommunication in the synagogue in the church of that day. That if you would not repent of your sin, if you would not do what the leaders of the church were telling you to do, you would be formally in front of people, you would be slapped across the face, and that would be a sign to the whole congregation that you're out. So listen, every one of the hearers in this day, hearing Jesus around that day on that mountain, they understood this. They understood this. It must also be said that the culture of that day, whether Jewish or pagan, was definitely, as I've said before, more into the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So some of them are like, what are you saying, Jesus? What are you saying? So again, we must guard against asking the question that seeks only to justify ourselves or soften what Jesus says here, mustn't we? But I must add this. He's not literally saying, he's not literally saying this that you must give everything away and every Christian must be a pauper. He's not suggesting that. Um, he's definitely not suggesting that you should take abuse after abuse after abuse, physical, verbal. He's not suggesting that. But he is suggesting this, that we need to, and he's appealing to a completely unnatural giving heart. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Seven times 70? Jesus said. <laughs> Give, give, keep giving, even to the point where it hurts, even when it's painful to do so. How? Do good, bless, and pray, and keep at it. And note, as I said earlier, he, he ends here with the golden rule. And the golden rule in our word, world and culture today is do unto others what you would have them do unto you. That's the way the rule has become. Actually, the rule was kind of in place in Greek philosophy before Jesus said it, but Jesus flipped it. If you look at Jesus' words, it's different than in the culture that we have today. It, it's in, in the way we look at it today, it's do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And it could be applied this way. Well, I, I, would, I would treat someone well, but if they don't treat me well, well, all bets are off. There's kind of a quid pro quo, right? It needs to be an equality there. Jesus turns it completely around, and he puts the onus on you and on me. He basically suggests this way, and this is what we should be saying. It should be this. Well, I really do wish people would treat me with love, with respect, and with kindness. So what I will do is I will show everyone always what it looks like. See how that's turned? The onus is on me to live that out, not on others to first do that, so then I will do that for them. It's completely turned around in the way that he does it. So then he goes on in verses 32 to 34 to say, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So obviously you can see what I've highlighted. The words, the key words in there are benefit, benefit, credit, right? And the lesson is this. The lesson is there's no credit for doing what you naturally should do, <laughs> which is love those who love you. There's no credit if you love your wife because she loves you. I mean, what, <laughs> like, let's, I remember in, in my business life, you know, people would be, you know, like, well, I, I think I deserve a raise. 
And, I, and I'm like, okay, why is that? Goes, well, I showed up on time. <laughs> you know? and, and I worked all day, and I do pretty good work, and I'm like, that's what I'm paying you for. <laughs> People seem to think sometimes I, there's a different expectation. But that's what it's expected. That's all Jesus is saying is that is what is expected. That's what the benefit is there for, and that's what you should expect. Jesus is calling us to unnatural agape love, to embrace it, to live it, to grow in it, and the benefits will be, he tells us. But he reminds us one more time. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward, reward will be great. What is your reward? You will be sons of the Most High God. (laughs) Sons and daughters of God. Heirs with Christ in all the heavenly blessings. Read Ephesians 1 and 2. It's awesome. Today and for eternity. That's your reward. You don't do to get in this case, but Jesus, in all the blessings that awaits for you, He wants to give these blessings to you and I. I have one last question. Actually, I'm going to ask the other question one more time, but I have one last important question as we close, and it is this. It's a really important question because it's all about love your enemies, love your enemies, love my enemies. I get that. What about this question? Who are God's enemies? Anybody have a thought on that? Holy Spirit saying anything to you right now? How about you and me and all of us? God has enemies. I've said this before in this series, and I'm probably going to say it again. I love, I love it that everything Jesus asks us to do, He has already either done or gone farther. Do you see that? Like in His life, you know the story, don't you? He's always gone farther than us, farther than He asks us. And you'll remember, and if you need to see it for yourself, you can see this in John's Gospel uh, when Jesus is on trial. You remember that when He's on trial? And He's before Pilate, and people are screaming, crucify Him, crucify Him, right? You, you remember quite clearly that He was brought before Pilate on trumped-up charges, and He was completely what? Innocent of all charges, completely innocent of all charges. But they had come to, listen to this, to the point, collectively, not just the religious people, but most of the people in the culture in that day in the city of Jerusalem, they had come to the point of hating Him. They were cursing Him, and they were about to abuse Him in the worst of ways. As He stood before the high priest in that room with Pilate, do you remember what happened? What did the high priest do to Him? slapped him on the face. It was a sign. You're out. We want nothing to do with you. When Jesus asked why they did that, he didn't really respond. But from that point on, Jesus turned the other cheek because he never opened his mouth again until he was on the cross asking his heavenly Father to forgive them because they know not what they do. Later, as they beat him and spit on him and placed a crown of thorns on his head, you know what they did then? They stripped him of his cloak and what? His tunic. Jesus is prophesying in this portion of Luke, isn't he? He goes further. 
He models it and actually allows it to happen to him. After he was crucified and taken down from the cross to be buried, then we read in John chapter 19, verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. So, come on, listen. Why did Jesus allow this to happen Why did he go that far? It's only one explanation. Love for his enemies. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So one last time, did Jesus really mean what he said? Anybody want to say yes, amen? Amen. (laughs) Thank you. You bet he did, and here's why. He commands it, actually. He commanded it. I'll leave you with this verse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So, friends, I I want to encourage you. Let's go and do likewise. In the power of the Holy Spirit, believe me, we need it. Let's go and show our love for everyone always. Do you think that would make a difference? Pray with me, would you?